In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. An Ontario woman charged with manslaughter has a court date tomorrow for a death that happened in 2015. The death was a child named Nathaniel, whom the woman was babysitting on the day he died. Why are we telling you this in July of 2021? Well, the babysitter was just charged a few weeks ago. On October 31st, 2015, Nathaniel McClellan, 15 months of age, of the municipality of North Middlesex, died in a London hospital. Megan Van Hoof, 42 years old of Strathroy, has been charged with manslaughter. Had police spent the past six years methodically building a case against this woman? No. And that's why we're telling you Nathaniel's story. Nathaniel was a toddler. He was somehow injured and collapsed, and he later died in hospital. That is every parent's worst nightmare. Except for Nathaniel's parents, that wasn't rock bottom. In the hours and days, and then continuing for the weeks and months and years following Nathaniel's death, the police investigation focused relentlessly on his parents. They were the prime suspects in the death of their own child. Everyone they knew knew that. Thousands of people they didn't know knew that. And for years, while the case remained open, they lived that way. Until someone else began looking at the story and looking at what happened that day and talking to people and asking questions and questioning what police did and why to the parents of a child who had died. And once that happened, all of a sudden, in a matter of weeks, five years later, the babysitter, and not Nathan's parents, was facing charges. So what happened here? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Kevin Donovan is the chief investigative reporter at the Toronto Star. He's the author of the investigative series, Death in a Small Town. You can find that series at thestar.com. And Kevin, I want to start, like, you could do a whole podcast series on this investigation. But maybe just to give us a sense of of where to begin, uh, who was Nathaniel? Who were his parents? Tell me about the family. Well, Nathaniel McClellan, who died in 2015, uh, at the time was a 15-month-old uh, boy, part of a, a growing family. Uh, mother is Roseanne McClellan. She's a teacher in uh, Strathroy, which is uh, uh, in the London, Ontario area. And uh, Father Kent uh, owns a heating and air conditioning uh, company out there. Uh, both busy parents uh, cobbled together various daycare situations for their youngest, for Nathaniel, the the older uh, three boys were all in, in elementary school at the time. And uh, they had something very uh, awful and unsurprising uh, happen to them on what really was just another day for them. 
Why don't you tell me about that day and, and sort of what happened and take me through a little bit of, if you can, the chronology of it. Yeah, and I, I say just another day, that was the heading of our first chapter in the series, because as people know, uh, you know, we have uh, hopefully uh, a life that that goes without these tremendous shocks, uh, and they were just going about their their daily routine uh, that morning, a Tuesday morning in October, a couple of days before Halloween. They uh, got up in the morning as they normally did, made oatmeal for the the kids. Uh, uh, the three older boys uh, headed off to school. Uh, Nathaniel, who'd been seemed totally fine and was totally fine, was eating Cheerios after he was eating his oatmeal, had a good breakfast. And dad went off to work. And then uh, Roseanne, uh, the mom, she took Nathaniel and uh, drove him about 20 minutes to uh, Strathroy. They live in Park Hill, which is a rural neighborhood uh, about 20, 25 minutes uh, away from both London and from Strathroy. And she, uh, Roseanne, uh, took Nathaniel to uh, the lady who had looked after him for the last uh, month and a half on Tuesdays and Thursdays. She had arrangements for other days. Dropped him off at Megan Van Hoof's house uh, at 8.30 in the morning. And uh, just before 12 uh, noon, she got a call from uh, the babysitter who said that something is wrong. Can you come and get Nathaniel? Uh, Roseanne uh, was just about to teach a class. She made arrangements uh, for a substitute, got in a car, and drove a very short distance towards the babysitter's house, but saw the babysitter approaching on the street, uh, holding her son, holding Nathaniel, and what another bystander said was a very awkward position. Uh, Nathaniel was clearly in distress. Uh, Roseanne had a couple of words with uh, the babysitter and uh, grabbed her son and raced off to the hospital, getting there just after uh, noon. The doctors found him uh, unresponsive. His pupils were blown, signs of a tremendous brain injury. Eventually, he was taken uh, to uh, London Hospital uh, down the road for more intensive care. But uh, everything was tried, and they weren't able to save him, and he died a couple of days later. That's such an awful story, um, particularly for anybody who's a parent. And it's kind of your worst nightmare, or at least I would have thought that until I read about what happened in the immediate aftermath. Can you explain, once Nathaniel passed, what began to happen as the police tried to figure out what exactly had happened here? Well, actually, within a couple of hours of Nathaniel being in the, the London hospital, the Strathroy police uh, uh, showed up. A senior detective spoke to uh, Kent separately, the dad, and spoke to Roseanne, the mom, separately. Uh, Kent recalls being asked questions like, uh, do you have a life insurance policy on your son? Do you own an ATV? Kent said, well, I don't have a life insurance policy on my son, but you know we live in the country and I do have, have an ATV. And within a couple of days, the OPP became involved in the case and eventually took it over. Mm-hmm. And uh, from my investigation, uh, documents I've obtained and interviews I did, they really went hard on the parents. They, they seem, in my opinion, to have had a tunnel vision approach to this case and decided that the parents were somehow at fault and uh, they, they were pr- pursuing a, a manslaughter uh, charge uh, against uh, the parents. Uh, ultimately, they didn't lay a manslaughter charge. But the, the parents who were quite understandably uh, grieving uh, Nathaniel's loss were then faced with this second uh, barrage uh, on their senses. Uh, mm-hmm. They were felt they were being implicated in the, in the death of, of their son. And one of the things that, that came out of this from, from getting some 
access to the police search warrant documents uh, in this uh, case, is that the police with this tunnel vision were talking to people who had interactions with the parents uh, of Nathaniel, interactions in the hospital, nurses and doctors, social workers. And those nurses and doctors and social workers were are quoted as saying that, well, the, the parents were acting quite odd. Mm-hmm. And if you step back from this, I mean, your, your son is in critical condition. He's, you've been told he's probably not going to make it. And to put it in Roseanne's words, she said, you judged us at our darkest moment. Hmm. And so when you say that the police had tunnel vision, can you give me an example or some examples, I guess, of the kind of questions they were asking or what their working theories were? Well, they seem to think that that Nathaniel, at the time he was dropped off that Tuesday morning, uh, that, that something must have happened to him before that. Uh, and so they were were quite interested in a in what I refer to in the story as a door bump from the day before Roseanne was getting something from their, their, their mudroom and she opened the door and couldn't see that little Nathaniel was on the other side and she opened the door and he fell back on his bum and was crying. She picked him up, a couple of tears, and he was fine. And I, I mean, I know as my parent, kids are older now, but I know that you know, these things do happen when you're a parent, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and uh, and and they're they're inconsequential in the long run. The police seem to think that there was something to that. And what's so interesting to me and, and upsetting to the McClellan family is that within a couple of days, the police were told by top doctors that whatever happened to Nathaniel did not happen the day before. Whatever happened to him, some some sort of a an impact which caused a nine to ten centimeter fracture on the back of his skull. Whatever happened, happened close to the time that he went unconscious that morning. And so the police had this expert information, but for a reason I do not understand, they discounted it. The big story will be back in just a minute. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. How did you and the star get involved in this story? Well, I got a call in 2017 from uh, uh, a sister-in-law of Roseanne and Kent. Uh, she's the, the wife of Kent's uh, brother. And I had coincidentally coached, uh, for many years I coached uh, soccer in uh, in Etobicoke, and uh, I, kn- I knew the family. And uh, she, I hadn't talked to, to this uh, the sister-in-law for many years, but she said, you know, let's, I want to have a coffee with you. And, and my extended family is going through a heck of a time. And this was two years after uh, Nathaniel died. And uh, so I sat with her and and the story she told me, stories that I get from people don't always hold up, but what she told me that day really did hold up. Uh, there was uh, this concern that the parents uh, were being railroaded, concern that there was more at play 
in this case than than the police had, had turned up. Uh, so that's how I got onto it, and and, and uh, you know I've worked on it uh, off and on over the last uh, three and a half four years, and it seemed like the time was right to to publish it. So what happened over the next weeks and months as police continued the investigation and? Since you just mentioned it, you know, why weren't they looking at what had happened to him that morning at the babysitters? Well, that question is, is to me, is still still unanswered. Uh, the McClellan family feels that the local police, uh, they were outsiders. They're from 25 to 30 minutes away from Strathroy. They feel that there is some connection between the local police and, and the babysitter's family. There's some peripheral the connections with officers, but but I didn't find anything related to that. What happened was the 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 Strathroy police and the OPP continued uh, investigating, and uh, there were three searches of the of the McClellan's residence. Only one with a search warrant, uh, and uh, the McClellan's uh, three older boys, who at the time were six, eight, and ten were all interviewed uh, in a very unusual circumstance. They were interviewed in their uh, Kent's father's uh, father and mother's basement by an uh, OPP officer, or by, sorry, by a Strathroy officer uh, with a children's aid person there, but no other adult. And uh, there was this, this, this feeling, which, which really didn't evaporate until our stories were published, that this, this cloud of suspicion over the McClellans their friends and family. There's a tremendous outpouring of support for them, uh, both from their their church and uh, and other people in Park Hill where they live. Uh, they're they're good people and their their good friends really stood up for them. But they still every time they I remember they they said you know we just out of this experience we feel we don't trust the police and you know we, we just we we worry that uh, that they're still coming after us. Uh, when I got involved in 2017, I reached out to the police right away, both the Strathroy and OPP, to try and get some uh, some answers from them. And uh, I got stonewalled constantly. The parents did something unique. They set about in 2017 and 2018 talking to people that were involved in their case. Roseanne became a real advocate for you know the open justice principle she really wanted as as did Ken Kent to to find out what had gone on behind the scenes and mm-hmm. these were people who who didn't know anything about the justice system they're not journalists they're not politicians they're just you know normal people who who don't normally uh, interact with police or crown attorneys uh, right. and they started meeting with the doctors who had treated Nathaniel both before Nathaniel died and after and they 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 got those doctors to say some quite stunning things to them, uh, and they recorded uh, those uh, conversations that they had. Um, I, I got a hold of those recordings and uh, you know informed the doctors before we published that uh, that we had this information. And uh, I, I didn't really get any pushback from the doctors. I, I have a feeling that that they didn't mind that this got out, and what it is that got out was was the following that the police were pressing from day one that Kent and Roseanne were somehow involved um, and that the police were told uh, at an early stage that that if you follow the timeline they couldn't be involved what did the police say to that have they commented on this um, since those tapes became public through your writing no, the police haven't commented on that at all uh, I mean what did happen is uh, s- uh, seven days after, 
our series was published, uh, the police announced that they had uh, made an arrest in the, the now five and a half year old case of Nathaniel McClellan. Uh, they charged uh, Megan Van Hoof, the, the, the babysitter, with manslaughter. And uh, that, that case is just in the courts right now. There'll be a, a hearing uh, on July 15th just to, to set a, a date uh, for trial. But the police have, have, and I see this a lot, I'm sure you see this a lot with, with police forces in, in Ontario, they don't like to talk too much about their actions. That can be either because they think that would jeopardize the court case uh, or that they don't want to talk about any missteps they may have made. But so, no, they haven't responded. And, and hopefully in the, the court process, uh, there will be some answers on why they did what they did and, and why they didn't do other things. Did this charge come about, and I'm trying to ask this um, in a tactful way, did it come about because of the coverage of this incident? Or had there been signs that the investigation was still ongoing and that it might have led to something like this naturally? Or was this, you know, out of the blue, these stories come out in the Toronto Star and then there's a charge? And, you know, I'm not asking you to insinuate anything with that, but it it seems very convenient. Well, Prior to publication of the story, I mean, and going back uh, several months, I had been reaching out to all the police officers involved in both the OPP and Strathroy, uh, including reaching out to the chief of the Strathroy police and the commissioner of uh, the OPP. So this would not have been a surprise for them to see it on the front pages of the Toronto Star, because I told them that this is what's coming and, and, uh, and you know, we're going to publish this information and, and asking them for comment, which which we never received. I expect that that got the senior brass to say, you know, we should we should reactivate this case. The OPP had been saying for a couple of years that it's an active and ongoing case. But please say that about everything, mm-hmm. certainly that I've ever looked into. Um, in the Sherman, Barry and Honey Sherman case is a good example of that. Everything's active and ongoing. That's why we can't tell you anything. But the, the key thing that the OPP said that they were waiting for, and they said this two years ago, was a, a new medical report from Toronto Sick Children's Hospital from a pediatrician there. And uh, I know they got that report uh, over a year ago. I have this horrible feeling that they, they didn't examine it properly. And then uh, once they, the OPP knew that our series was coming, then somebody senior said, well, let's have a real look at this so that, that uh, you know we're not... Uh, behind the eight ball when these stories come out. Now that a charge has been laid, are we closer to knowing exactly what happened? Does the actual charge indicate what police think happened? Uh, well, parts of the, the actual charge is uh, is subject to a, a ban on publication that we're, the Toronto Star is seeking to overturn. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to get too much in those actual documents. Uh, it's The police, the Crown, is going to have a theory of, of the case and uh, the, the Crown and the police may know pieces of information that, that neither I know or the McClellans know that that's quite possible. I think it's, it'll unfold in, in the court and, and, you know, to give Megan Van Hoof uh, uh, her due, she, uh, through her lawyer, uh, Kevin Egan from London, say that all matters will be revealed in court. And so, so I, you know, I, once you get into a situation where there is the specter of a trial, I think we do have to to respect that process and mm-hmm. and, uh, and wait to see what comes out in testimony. What about the McClellans? How do they feel about this? It's been six, almost seven years. Like now that they're here, what does it mean to them? Yeah, the McClellan family, I went to see them a couple of days before we published in June. And and they, I mean, they're, they're both 
very bright, very articulate people, but I, I wanted them to know the effect of a, of a story in a large newspaper, you know, might have on them. Uh, they were nervous. Uh, and when the stories started coming out and then other media picked up on it too, they were, they were delighted. It's the thing that they've wanted. They've wanted to, to honor their son's memory by seeing if this situation that we've all seen happen in Ontario so many times, problems with the investigation of child deaths can somehow finally be sorted. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen because of this, but it certainly has shone a spotlight on it. So, so they're pleased. And, and, you know, as far as the, as when the police laid the charge, they, they were shocked uh, that it happened. Uh, And, you know, they're, they're pleased that a step has uh, has been taken in in their pursuit of justice for Nathaniel. My last question is just beyond this family in particular. You know, what does this case mean in the big picture in terms of how these kind of deaths, which are, you know, catastrophic enough to a family as it is, uh, don't get caught up in this kind of investigation? Could this happen to other families? What's preventing it? Well, I mean, it could happen to other families. And and I know just anecdotally from families that have reached out to me who read the story, there's been, I heard some kind of similar stories, which I'm looking into now. Look, you can't live your life worried about something that's going to happen. You have to just, you know, do your best to keep your, your family safe. Um, but I do think you have to be prepared if something happens to just uh, to know to know your your rights um, and and to try and understand the system and you know I think I, I tell you that if anybody had ever if anybody came to me and said like I'm in this situation who would I talk to I, I think I might say talk to Roseanne and Kent because they in a very unfortunate way have become experts on this. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is from, I mean, Roseanne didn't have a cell phone in 2015 when this, this happened. And uh, five and a half years later, she's, uh, I, you know, I tell her that she's a bit of a computer sleuth now. She's uh, kind of halfway between private detective and investigative reporter. So they, and, and they really have learned a lot and they ask questions and they ask the right questions. And I think that's, that's all that the people in this situation can do. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for your hard work bringing the story to light. Thanks for having me on. Kevin Donovan, the chief investigative reporter at the Toronto Star. You can read all of Death in a Small Town at thestar.com. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Talk to us anytime via email with congratulations or criticism or questions or whatever is on your mind. The Big Story Podcast at rci.rogers.com. And lastly, find us in your podcast player. Press play, press subscribe, press follow, press like, press rate, press review. Do all of the things. We appreciate every one of them. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season 6, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You just created the playground 
where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency.